Hi guys, this is the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. We are definitely in the teens now in terms of podcast episodes. I can't remember, I think we might be 15. We have another Mike with us today, however. Not Mike Isertel, but Mike Samuels, good buddy of mine. We've been friends for quite a while, online, offline as well, as we were just talking about online and offline friends. I find that quite interesting in that we all have a lot of online friends and not so many in, in-person friends. Anyway, say hi guys. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Hey everyone. So Mike is from Healthy Living he- Heavy Lifting. I hope I got that the right way around. I, I imagine everyone screws this up. <laughs> you did, yeah. That was pretty much like the precision with which I usually manage to say it. So I'm kind of at the stage where there's just small falters in it when I say it. So if other people get it that right, then I'm actually quite impressed. <laughs> so HL, HL. And if you haven't seen Mike's website, there's some fantastic blogs on there. Um, I have a few on there, but there's just multiple, multiple blogs on there that are just fantastic and will give you a grounding in anything you could probably want. Um, And I've definitely been following Mike Stuff for a long time and really respect his work. And he's been doing a lot of work recently. And a topic that he's been working on and what we're going to talk about today is female fat loss, muscle gain, weight training, gains, powerlifting, myths, all of these subjects, which I think women fall prey to a lot and I think it's going to be a really worthwhile podcast and I know Mike has been researching this a lot and works with a lot of females so I think it'll be particularly interesting. So how should we start this off? Should we start talking about maybe nutritional myths and then kind of taking that into being kind of nutritional recommendations, practical application? Um, What's the biggest nutritional myth Mike, that you generally see out there that you really, really hate for females in particular? Because I know there's a lot just generally. I think for me, it's got to be this idea of like really low calorie dieting. Um, Obviously, as we know, you need a calorie deficit to lose fat. And for women, yeah, that's going to be fairly low in terms of calories a lot of the time. It might be like 1,200, 1,400, whatever. It might be quite low. And sometimes that's needed. But for me, it's the fact that so many females fall into the trap of thinking they need to be on like 800, 900,000 calories a day, which whether you believe all the stuff about, you know, uh, metabolic damage and things, I think there is a degree of adaptation. And there's also that idea that if you consistently diet on low calories, then you're going to binge, you're going to fall off the wagon and then actually end up in a, um, you know, an overall surplus come the end of the week. And on that same theme, I'd say that then a lot of women want to build specific areas. So they talk about you know building glutes, building their delts up so they've got like a nice athletic figure. Um, but they won't eat enough to do that. They don't want to gain even an ounce of fat. They're kind of scared of it. So they're never going to gain any appreciable muscle past like the first few months of training when weightlifting is completely new to them. So that's not to say that every female suddenly has to go, right, mega bulk, I'm going to eat 3,500 calories a day. But it's just enforcing that idea that you need to monitor it. You need periods of dieting. Sometimes you need to go hard. Sometimes you need to ease up on yourself. But essentially, just monitoring everything and adjusting accordingly, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. <clears throat> and kind of it, it's really hard to see because without women having an understanding of just basic nutritional priorities for fat loss and kind of calories and macros, a lot of them just essentially starve themselves and kind of do eat under. I mean, some of them don't eat as little as they think they are and they think they're eating less than they are and that's their problem but there are those who really do end up eating nothing and they're scraping to kind of even get maybe 500 calories in it's just horrible to see because they do they do probably maintain weight because their metabolic rate just drives down because they've got no energy or will to live for life um mark what do you reckon what's the biggest myth that you've seen i think i i I think the same i i just just to add to what's already been said about super low calorie diets, particularly in women, is they feel that that's obviously necessary for them. And of course, females are typically they they do diet on on less calories than than men. Typically, they're they're smaller, uh, less muscle mass. So the the difference in calories for a female, if you've got like a female fifty kilogram female office worker, she's going to be dieting on all less calories than a 80 kilogram uh, bricklayer, for example. So her, you know, her calories are lower, but they don't have to be that extremely low. And although there are times where in certain circumstances, maybe like a contest prep, for example, or 
or a photo shoot when they maybe do have to tip the water in slightly lower calories. But I think they almost, or many females, set themselves up for failure almost right away because they're on really low calories Monday to Friday. And that, that amount of energy that it takes them just to get through that five days on low calories, get their gym session in, do the thing with their family, go to work. By the weekend, they've absolutely had enough. Life sucks. Binge over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then they take themselves, maybe maybe not into into a surplus, but at least back to kind of where their maintenance level would be. Or even into a surplus. So they're, they're, they're trying really hard with this aggressive dieting and see no return, sometimes worse off than they, than they should be because they, the, the approach is so extreme and it just can't be maintained. Hmm. It's that basic lack of understanding of yeah. kind of respecting, your, like it's not, you have to feed your body to lose fat because that doesn't necessarily really make sense. But I do yeah. like it in some ways because you do have to make, like you have to have a healthy body for it to lose fat. You can't go into it feeling drained and dead all the time. Uh, I've definitely had females come to me for coaching who I've been like, they're on a, a very small amount of calories and they've been tracking, they are accurate and they are maintaining weight on something that's very low. And it's like, well, we can't really look to lose a pound a week because if we take 500 calories off that or add any cardio to what you're doing, you're going to be in no man's land. So end up having to build up to then come down, which I think is maybe another myth that we see quite a lot in the terms of the reverse dieting and people think it's some sort of magic um, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, Mike. Yeah, I think that'd be cool because I think I'll often use the phrase reverse dieting, but not in the sense that maybe a lot of people think of it. So for me, I think it's more a concept of, you know, finishing a diet and then getting out of that at a rate that is applicable to the person. So obviously, you know, some people are going to, they will reverse out quite slowly. So they will up calories quite slowly, try and maintain leanness if, you know, if, they've got another competition coming up soon or they've potentially you know their job involves them looking a certain way so if they do like some shoots or anything or even if they've got a job where they're expected to be on show all the time they're in the public eye and need to be kind of lean you would do it slower other people you're like right you've had a crap time dieting you've really suffered let's get it back up quicker so you're healthier but I think people see the genetic outliers and also coaches who post pictures of people saying you know 12 weeks after a diet finished, she's up 600 calories and actually she's only up a pound, but look, she's even leaner than she was. And, you know, you've got somehow it appears she's lost fat and gained muscle and people think that then that should be the the way things happen. Mm-hmm. But actually that's just more luck than anything. You know, chances are if you're anything less than absolutely amazing genetics, you will gain some fat after a diet. You won't be able to get your calories as high as you think you can. That's another thing we see is a lot of female athletes who do crazy amounts of volume, maybe like CrossFit or they're powerlifters or they've just got really high activity rate or, again, genetics, saying, oh, I'm up to 350 grams of carbs a day and stuff. And you think, well, that's great. But unless the average person wants to start, you know, you know change their job or start walking six hours a day as well on top yeah. of everything they're doing, they're not going to be able to get to that. So I think reverse dieting is important and coming out of a diet and having phases of dieting as well. So you've got time at maintenance in a surplus and a deficit. But doing that whole thing of you know expecting your weight to stay pretty much stable or even go down and get leaner as you raise calories, I think is a bit of like a, an urban legend, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, think, I think the initial, what happens often is when people come out of the reverse diet and people show these kind of unrealistic maybe and very rare cases where people end up losing weight and increasing food at the same time it's often it's only kind of I I know after my contest prep I actually started losing weight after as I was building calories up and it was a fairly slow build up not massively slow but I think it was more just the fact I wasn't looking any better I wasn't looking leaner it was more just kind of maybe some water weight kind of going away and things like that because you are going to be kind of in a chronically stressed period maybe some cortisol shifts away you shift some water weight with that um but yeah you there is no you can't get around the law of thermodynamics which so many people do and if you are increasing calories and losing weight it just means you're being more active probably there's another part of the energy balance that you're manipulating that's gonna 
consequently lead to these changes. Um, and yet yeah, it's, it's, it's really difficult because I think everyone's looking for that silver bullet all the time. So that's why reverse dieting became such an amazing thing, especially for kind of females um, coming out of like contest prep periods. In terms of like general fat loss, is your reverse dieting thing the same or sometimes when I'm doing it and if I have someone who's got quite a lot of weight to lose or go for a dieting period and when they look like they're kind of struggling and it's probably around kind of 12 weeks, maybe it's 16 weeks, end up doing kind of quite an extended diet break where they're just kind of maintaining weight and I find that kind of allows them to get past that kind of stumbling block and allows them to then lose weight again. I don't know, I know Mike Isratel's talked about set points and where you come to like a settling point and you can break through that. Um, have you guys had any experience with that? Personally, yeah, I tend to do that. Um, probably more so now, actually, yeah, same as you, since I kind of read more about Mike Isratel's stuff and everything. And I think that there's an argument that you probably could just push harder and up cardio or drop calories and they get through it. But again, you have to remember that most people who are coached will actually have jobs and have families and want to maintain some kind of energy levels. And to me, if they say that they're okay with having a bit of a diet break for a few weeks, then that kind of shows they're probably a bit more in it for the long run and a bit more dedicated and like to stick to it. And I think it's also a good thing of builds up motivation, same as a deload in training almost. You have a deload and you get back to you think, I really want to go and lift now and want to put everything into it. Again, if motivation's faltering slightly in a diet and you've hit a stumbling block in terms of weight loss or fat loss or whatever, then actually having a diet break and seeing that things are pretty much staying the same, you get that adherence back again and then you really, really want to go and like be as accurate as you can when you go back to dieting after that. So like diet fatigue, I think I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's quite, I think it's a good strategy to bring that up with clients at the start of the diet as well. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, just by experience, we know that, you know, if, if we go 12, 14, 16 weeks or even 20 weeks of, of consistently in a calorie deficit, if we... You know, even though the client at the start might think it's a it's a a bad idea to come up with a diet and be around maintenance because that's not their goal. Their goal is to lose fat, and and as soon as you say we're going to pull you out your diet, you know, alarm bells start going off. But if you can kind of build it in right from the start and say, look, we're going to push really hard for this twelve weeks. Um, I've found that adherence for that twelve weeks is better as well because they know that that break's coming and they understand it by the time it rolls around they kind of understand why we're doing it. And yeah, I guess it, it can be quite individual. If you've, if you've, if your client says, look, I'm really feeling great, let's just crack on. I think you've got to kind of listen to the client as well. Um, but yeah, I think if you, if you bring it up pre diet, the kind of plans in place for having a, having a diet break and, and maybe having a few weeks at, at maintenance, I think it, it does help them come to terms with it, like psychologically when it comes around as well. I definitely think having that plan in he- ahead of time and introducing it to them ahead of time is really good because not only is it like light at the end of the tunnel, but it's also like they ha- they know they have to be on point in that period of time. And I think the same could be said for gaining weight because I know for myself, I work with a lot of people that are maybe fat phobic, you could call it, or they just don't like the idea that they could potentially be putting on fat. And I think I'm like that slightly and I have worked with females who are definitely like that and I think it's much more like that in the female community and I think if you had kind of a period of time where you're like okay you cannot we can't actually train like this right with high volumes for ages and it still be beneficial we need to go through a period of time gaining and then we'll go through this phase and we'll have to maintain and then go through it again whereas Otherwise, people just perpetually don't really stick to it and they are kind of not really seeing any results. And I think it just ends up to a lot of kind of wheel spinning or maybe just very slow progress, which I've definitely experienced myself with weight gain when I was just kind of like, ah, if I don't gain a pound this month, it doesn't really matter. I can just do it next month. And it kind of just led to a lot of time that felt like it was potentially wasted, um, which I think leads us to quite a good point that I'd like Mike to talk about in that. A lot of women think that weightlifting is going to make them bulky and I'm not under the impression that it won't at all make them bulky. And I mean, you'll get genetic outliers that probably get more hench than any of us, which is just demoralizing. But I don't think the majority of females, especially if they program in kind of a bit of a smarter manner, are going to get very bulky. And 
I think it's something that doesn't happen overnight. So it's not like it's going to happen and you're just going to wake up like the She-Hulk. Um, yeah, touch on, <laughs> I think that's a bit of a, a myth that has some slight truth to it, like any myth that kind of does. Yeah, I think that one of the things I tend to do is, or certainly when I used to be a personal trainer in a gym, was that I'd have female clients who'd be worried about lifting weights. And I would take them to the weight area and say, look, pretty much every guy in here is trying to get big, but how many are actually big? You know, they've been trying to do this for like 10, 15 years. We're just going to lift some weights a few times a week. It's probably not going to happen. And yeah, like you said, there are genetic outliers. Um, you know, women who've got like um, polycystic ovary syndrome, potentially you know, hormones are changed. They do tend to get a bit bigger, a bit quicker. Again, not talking like huge, but their rates are certainly more towards how a guy might um, might get bigger than how the average woman would. But I think the smart programming thing comes into it a lot as well. And actually the routines that a lot of women, without stereotyping, but a lot of women seem to do when they're starting out, are probably more conducive to gaining muscle than like a smart program. You know, they tend to do a lot of high reps, mm-hmm. get very sore on things like arms, on shoulders, on thighs as well, because they often do the like the inner and outer thigh machines, leg extensions, everything. And that amount of time under tension, you know, it's not not saying that time under tension is the only factor and higher reps are better per se, but for a beginner, that's like a lot of stress on a muscle. Yeah. And that's possibly going to create more hypertrophy and more muscle growth than something where they're working with some lower reps, doing mm-hmm. some compounds with free weights would. So that's where I think you've got to monitor it again and like we said with diet cycling periods of training and suiting that to the person so generally with most females i tend to plan you know low to moderate rep for most of the time we still get like squats in there get deadlift variations different types of pressing but at the same time i'll you know factor in the odds kind of high rep bit if they've got some areas that they want to build faster than others then volume and frequency are probably the two bigger factors so i might yeah, for instance, had a, a female client doing training recently, wanted five sessions a week. So whereas with a guy, I might usually do two lower and three upper. With her, it was the other way around. So it was, you know, she wanted to build her glutes and her calves particularly. So we had that fifth day was almost solely um, glute and calf work. But the other two lower sessions had the squats and deadlifts in. So you're still hitting those muscles, mm. but not as directly. And I think it's about balance a lot as well. A lot of females again like guys have traits that they tend to go towards a lot of females will do crazy high volume leg workouts when they don't really want to build that that area that big but they'll follow stuff they've seen on instagram with you know 12 15 exercise a session all supersetted all for sets of 15 to 20 and stuff like that which again isn't one it's not smart programming and two it's probably not or it's not going to get into their goals as quickly as doing something a lot more balanced and with more of a strength focus would certainly in my opinion and my experience I'd say. Yeah I guess I mean females what do they have like a tenth of the testosterone most males have which is and testosterone is one of the largest like factors for males why they can get bigger and stronger and yeah there's going to be outliers but I think I mean, you touched on it with the smarter programming in that if a girl doesn't want to build her like arms, then just do not do any arm work. Like, it's not something that's necessary. And you can specialize on areas like glutes. Like, guys will do maybe three three days a week they do their arms. They want to get big arms. Girls can do the same. And it's there are slight differences between guys and girls in terms of programming. But, yeah, for the, for the most part, it's not. I think I, I remember a case where I had, a, when I was one-on-one PT, I had a client come to me, female, who wanted to just lift weights, but lose fat mainly. And uh, she was really, really against doing anything heavy because I don't know if it's just something women equate to heavy weights mean bulk, but we were doing kind of things like triples, fives, which low volume, heavy loads, not really the best for muscle building. Uh, but she was dead set against doing those sort of things and wanted to do the high rep stuff, which I think is really kind of out there in terms of a lot of kind of, I don't know, the big names, PT, um, I've forgotten her name, like Julian Michaels or something, saying things like do these high rep toning, slimming exercises that are going to tone and slim you down, which I, I, to a degree, I understand because it's slow twitch muscle fibers. They're generally the smaller ones. Yeah. But 
that amount of volume is going to bulk you up. It just, and if you hit failure, which a lot of the time they do, they're recruiting those faster twitch muscle fibers as well, which they could potentially grow from, I guess. Um, <coughs> well, I guess it's the idea of feeling the burn and equating feeling the burn to fat loss. When actually that yeah. burn is like, yeah, um, sort of metabolite stress and lactate and all of that, which again are quite big factors in hypertrophy. So they're, you know, doing one thing, thinking they're getting one response, and actually it's probably going to be the other way around. So that's why I say I will factor in, you know, some higher rep hypertrophy stuff, even if their goal isn't to get bigger. But I think, I was going to say nine times out of 10, probably 19 times out of 20, I think females get better results from weight training than they would expect in the beginning. So if you can, I think as a coach, if you can psychologically <clears throat> get it across in the right way and, you know, word it correctly then actually you're going to get better results by doing that and having them you know, just doing something like a generic upper-lower split. And I tend to program really simply from the start, especially online, because I don't know as well as one-on-one -on -one training how well someone would move. I don't know what their strengths and weaknesses are. I tend to get videos off people, but I don't know how great their form is really without being able to walk around and see from different angles. So something very basic. And then I think you know, if Every female started off with something like that, so a three-day-a-week full body or an upper-lower and a full body or a four-day-per-week upper-lower, something like that, and just did like eight weeks and see how it went. And if they did think, well, actually, yeah, I'm getting you know, bigger here and I don't want to be, or well, this area's not growing, or thinking, well, I didn't want that to get bigger initially, but actually, I like the way my glutes are looking or my shoulders are looking or whatever then you know, eight weeks in the grand scheme of things, it's, what, it's like a seventh of the year. Uh, sorry, not even that. It's um, well, it's a sixth of the year, sorry, isn't it? A couple of months. So that's not a long time to do something for. And you know, if you see you're getting too big, you just stop or you just stop doing a certain exercise. It's not like that's going to be detrimental for the rest of your life and you're going to put on three pounds of muscle and never get rid of it. If you don't train for a month, that'll go. So yeah, yeah. just trial and error, really. Yeah, I think... Uh... <clears throat> it's it's building trust with the client as well and I think it's funny when Mike said about looking around the gym looking at the guys in the gym because I've I do this almost every week or or every time I start a, a new female client um it seems to be the first thing they'll say is I don't want to get too big I don't want to get bulky and then I've used myself as an example and I've said like take take a look at me you know, I, I am in here five days a week. I'm trying my best to get as big as I possibly can. And I'm not that big a guy. Um, and that's with everything else set up. So call it a surplus, lifting heavy weights. Um, whereas most female clients come, or, or, or at least the ones that, are, that we're kind of chatting about to, to lose body fat, um, they're going to be in a diet period anyway. They're already taking aside the 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 examples of this but um or the exceptions of this they're genetically not set up to gain lots of muscle anyway so they're kind of fundamentally against muscle gain in the first place um however what i think as a coach we have to be careful with and, and, and what i try and do is i almost give the client what they want initially so because what 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 we've got to remember is coaches or, or personal trainers whether it's kind of online or offline is that these these females and males as well I've got to say they could have spent the last two three four five years reading certain magazines or following certain programs and listening to their friends in the office they're not you know you've only had a 15 20 minute consultation with them you're not going to start to to change their views straight away so kind of I think initially giving them what they want and then educating them along the way. And like Mike said, when they start to start to lift and start to notice changes in their body, they quite like it and they quite enjoy it. And they just the kind of ball starts going from there. Um, at least that's kind of what I've found, particularly in one-to-one -one sessions. Yeah, so if they're not in that calorie surplus and they haven't got a load of testosterone behind them, the actual then ability to gain muscle, those are kind of probably two of your strongest builders yeah. right there that just aren't available. Um, and that, yeah, that's a difficult thing for them to kind of comprehend sometimes. But like you said, it's, you have to earn their trust as a PT yeah. and as a personal trainer. I guess it's building that trust over time that's really hard because there are just so many bad myths out there. Um, 
Too many. I, I think one of the key things is almost if you're a coach or anyone who wants to help someone who's starting out is learning how to properly dismiss myths without sounding really condescending and just saying, oh, well, that's wrong. Like You need to know some of the science, and that's why I think learning about how to program rather than just following a routine is really important as well. And not necessarily geeking out on stuff as much as we do because, let's face it, like most people don't want to sit there and read some big textbook on like, periodization or whatever. But no way. Just, <laughs> I, just, I know it's a revelation. <laughs> but just, you know, it's difficult because if you're not sure what's right and what's wrong, finding people to follow who are at the top of the industry can be quite hard because, like you said, Julian Michaels is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Tracy Anderson, um, anyone on Instagram pretty much. Um, those are the people who look like they've got a big following. And they're probably not the best people to follow in terms of actually working out what to do for yourself. But if you're lucky enough to stumble across someone who is intelligent, then you know, following what they do and trying to learn from them so that, I suppose, to use a, you know, a bit of a cliched analogy, it's that thing of um, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, uh, yeah. teach him how to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. It's mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, if you give someone a four-week routine, they might do okay on it. They probably won't really, but they might do okay. If you teach them how to set everything up properly, then they're probably going to do much, much better in the long run and they're going to be able to adjust stuff to suit their preferences. So, you know, if I had a female client, my goal is always to kind of empower them to be able to do it without me if they need to. So I'd rather, you know, if someone's working with me for, say, six months, we go through a few different types of routines, we get them doing lots of different exercises, you know, obviously intelligently programmed but you get them doing a variety of stuff tweaking it as you go so that then if for instance they've got a really busy time at work and they can only train two or three times a week they can do that mm-hmm. if they've got a you know, holiday vacation whatever coming up and they want to you know, amp things up a bit they don't suddenly think right fasted cardio every morning a thousand calories and i'm going to do all high reps they think well actually i need a bit of extra activity i need to maybe cut like three four hundred calories a day and I might just suddenly chuck some sort of 10-minute finisher circuit on the end of a couple of workouts a week so that they can do it and make it more of a lifestyle. So that, yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose it comes back again to learning how to cycle your training and set things up so that they're manageable, but at the same time getting the results that you want. Yeah. I completely agree. I think if females, males, anyone, if you're a coach, you want to be empowering your client because if they understand the program, even if they want to stay with you forever... Um, the idea would be to teach them so they don't need to and that will empower them because then when they're doing the program they'll be like oh, I'm doing this because it's going to lead to this and when they kind of connect the dots themselves the results just so much better whereas if they're kind of if you have a female client you're giving them deadlifts to do and they're like what the hell is that how's that going to help me get like that body like Jennifer Lopez's body or whoever it might be that they've like idolizing um, I think it it's really hard especially for females because now at least they're seeing that weight training is kind of a good thing. They're seeing that squats are like how you get the booty, even though it might not necessarily be the best exercise for it. It's really good that that's opening up. And I'm seeing powerlifting grow for females massively. Um, And I think what might be interesting to ask you, Mike, is if when you program for powerlifting for females, do you do anything differently for them? I know generally kind of maybe that they're in general from what I've gathered, that they're more slow twitch, they can handle more volume generally, especially on the lower body. Upper body stuff, really, I find my female powerlifters just generally struggle with it and they can't handle a lot of volume. And it's just, it's just check, bench press is just always their weakest lift. They always get frustrated with it. And I think there's a variety of factors that play there. But have you, what experiences have you had with female powerlifting? Have you programmed differently for them at all compared to males? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with what you said. I think for me, I'll put in some more volume on the lower body, particularly, you know, we'll probably get some more accessory work in there. So I am big on competition lifts and getting each of them in once a week, plus maybe another session, obviously depends on the client, but tends to be, you know, one normal competition back squat session with a deadlift accessory or a deadlift variation in there as the main bits and then vice versa in the second lower session. But I'll often, you know, with a guy who might be handling high amounts of weight, I might just get him to do those couple and then maybe some lunges or something. With a woman, it would be those two, maybe a few sets of lunges, some sort of bridging exercise or an extra like posterior chain move, 
maybe some, I don't know, single-legged stuff, maybe even some isolation work as well. Um, and if they want a third session a week, I can get a third session. Now, I think that's going to be at less detriment than you would be a guy because mm-hmm. I think the recovery capabilities, probably where they're shifting higher loads, but the recovery capabilities in the, in the lower body won't be as good. And I would be reluctant to, pro, you know, if someone was training purely for getting stronger, I'd be reluctant with a guy to give them a third lower body session um, unless it was like a lighter or a technique mm-hmm. session or their others weren't pushing quite as hard. But with a woman, I wouldn't worry too much. If it did look like progress wasn't as fast as we'd like it to be, then you know, that third session could be taken out or reduced or made to like a, a purely dynamic day or something. Mm-hmm. But again, with upper body, um, same kind of thing. The one thing I found helps quite a bit is um, getting paused work in there for the bench press, actually. So I think that's one thing that I'm a big fan of. Um, only recently, to be honest, I never used to program that much mm-hmm. until probably about a year ago. But yeah, I'm big on pause work, so I'll probably bench twice a week, and one session will be um, main bench plus accessories. So it might be dumbbells to help with stabilisation. We might use, do another barbell move for the purpose of like specificity and making it more competition specific. And that second one's probably going to be a pause session, or it might even be like a floor press or something. So they're having to work really, really hard to keep tight and keep tension at the bottom of the movement. Mm-hmm. I think that's key because you know, women have the advantage of possibly being being able to get a better arch on the bench press, I think, just yeah. from generally better flexibility, which they should use if they can do it pain-free um, and obviously still competition legal. But they tend to lose tightness a lot just because obviously how they're um, set up with like wider hips, obviously, for being childbearing, wider hips, narrower shoulders. If we can get some paused work in there, maybe a bit of extra overhead stuff as well, I think, because shoulder stability is not probably quite as good. Um, that's what I tend to do. So I was going to say none of that's backed by science. It may well be. I've not <laughs> seen like a plethora of scientific studies on that, but it's just a bit of trial and error, yeah. a bit of reading. That just tends yeah. to be my go-to approach. Again, dependent on the client, but to me, they're the, the small but semi-significant differences that I'd make. I think the fact is you can kind of start the same place as you start with a male, you start with the principles and then you run with them for that client. And if you start with that base, you're always going to get it right, whether it's male or female. You can check how many, how they're recovering from their sessions. Oh, they're recovering really well. Then it doesn't matter if it's male or female. You just do give them what they want to progress at their best rate, which I think is really great. And I think we've talked a lot about kind of understanding the basics behind things to allow you to kind of run forward with it, which I think is super important. And I like that you touched on the pause work because that's something I've also implemented. I think I've, I've only got the one female powerlifter, but kind of spoto press where you pause just an inch above the chest and actual pauses on the chest. A lot of it, tightness, she really struggled with. So yeah, it helped massively with that. And then just a lot of confidence. I don't know what it is about females, maybe just lacking confidence with some of the lifting, um, but lacking confidence there. And it's just a really great confidence builder. If you know you can pause with a certain weight for longer than what the competition pauses, you kind of know you can smash it in a competition, which is really, really empowering. Yeah, I think you touched on something as well, the confidence, which I should probably add as well. I tend to, with a female during training, if it's you know far away from a meet or they're not peaking at all, I'll try and stay quite far away from failure, especially on stuff they're not comfortable with, because I'd rather, you know, you've got loads of really good solid volume with perfect form than you put in something there that was like a, a percentage for a certain number of reps, you know, they, they should probably get that. Mm-hmm. And then there's that risk that if they're you know not quite on form that day, or if they're feeling a bit underconfident, they'll miss it, and that can be a big dent to confidence. At the same time, I'll probably keep the RPs lower for upper body stuff as well. So still pushing it hard, but you know I've got no issue with keeping most of like the RP stuff to like an eight or maybe even a seven for bench pressing. I won't go to a nine a lot of the time. Um, Plus, on the other end of it, you know, the jumps up that a female will be able to make on the bench in terms of amount of weight on the bar is going to be smaller. Um, so you've got to take that into consideration. With a guy, you can probably have them, you know, do your next cycle and add five kilos to this or 10 pounds, however you're working with it. A female, you might say, right, let's do this next cycle and keep your working max the same. And all we'll do is maybe like stick in an AMRAP set here or we'll add a couple of extra sets here and there or just work on moving the bar faster. To me, that would be a better way to progress. 
certainly for a lot of people, than just saying, right, we'll do that, but add yeah. some weight because it's not always going to happen. Yeah, I think my female client bought fractional plates, which really helped because it was yeah. like you can add just about a kilo. So that's perfect. We can progress like that, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, the progressive overload. And yeah. You're completely right. A 5% for a female might end up, if you're rounding it by the 2.5 kilo, being the same weight. So you just have to end up doing more volume with it. Um, yeah. Something I do think and what I'd like to touch on because... The reason I really like powerlifting for females is because it's got them to focus on something that isn't how they look necessarily or the scale and that I think is really important because it kind of gets them focusing on a process which is the strength training and then that takes away from focusing on too many other things and that by focusing on that they kind of get to their goals. <coughs> Have you had any experience with clients, Mark, where the, the female really doesn't feel comfortable weighing in or using the scale. I recently wrote an article on it, so I think it's, it's something I've definitely kind of tried to find a way of expressing it in a manner that they'd consider weighing, <laughs> weighing in. I'm trying to make a case for the scale because I think it's important. <clears throat> yeah, I. it's my preference. I think, I guess it's, it's, it's a coach's preference or you guys' preference that our clients are weighing in probably every day um, or at least four times if, if four times a week if possible if I, if a client says to me that they've, they've for whatever reason they've got no intention of weighing in whatsoever then initially again it's kind of just going back to giving the client what they what they want or at least what they think they want at that period of time so I won't force the issue uh, to weigh in, at least not straight away. Um, I would, I would, I would explain my reasoning for for wanting or for 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 it to be my preference for them to weigh in every day, um, and I would tell them the benefits for that. But if they're just dead against it, which that I've found can be the case for for quite a lot of females actually, um, then I just kind of leave it where it is, and then we come up with a different way of. Of measuring progress, whether it was uh, fat loss or, or or gaining weight, the problem being, it's very difficult to gauge. And I think you touched on it in your in your article, Steve. Is it's very difficult to gauge progress, although the scale is only one um, measuring tool for us. It's a it's very handy, um, and it gives us kind of instant feedback right there, right then. And uh, you know, when we start to take the weekly averages. If you're only relying on, so like we might say, okay, well, let's see how let's see how your clothes fit you at the end of this month. Um, maybe they're a bit loose, but then that's very subjective as well. So I would discuss that we would prefer to have them weighing in. Um, but what I found interestingly is when people come to a coach, they kind of they've they've got their biases straight away and the way they want to do things or the way they don't want to do things. If you can quickly build up that trust and that and that kind of rapport with your client, they almost they're much more likely to do what you what you are suggesting and then trust you in that process. So, mm -hmm. I've I've had clients who've just been absolutely completely look, Mark. I am not. I don't own scales and I don't intend to own scales. <laughs> and then I've got the same client a few months later, a few weeks later, who are WhatsApping me in the morning saying like pictures of their of their scale weight. So. <laughs> It's just it's just knowing the client and um, I I kind of like to just tiptoe around the around the subject initially at least um, if there's any um, you know if, if they're dead against scale weight and measuring that way I would never force the issue although I'm kind of always touching it as we go like oh have you bought the scales yet um, maybe we could try this try something different and nine times out of ten of course the client gets on board and um, waning becomes no problem but I think initially I don't like to it's just my my way I, I would never force it on them and uh, yeah I think I think you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if, if um, it's just knowing the client giving the, giving the client again what, what, what they want or at least what they think they want to start with I definitely agree again we come back to that trust element and most of the time if they're coming to you for coaching you'd hope their biases are kind of towards the way you do things if you kind yeah. of Absolutely. Are doing kind of if you're. It depends how you're marketing. Obviously, if you're not showing out how you really do things, then people are going to be like, "What?" But hopefully, 
uh, they're going to come to you and they're going to be open-minded and they're going to come to you with kind of the thought that they would wear themselves but I mean for particularly for females I find it difficult even um, because of the there's not just the hormonal cycle which is different to the, the male who doesn't have one at all but it differs for every single female I have some who they predictably will gain kind of towards the start and the end of their cycle other people will just they don't even this doesn't touch them others yeah. will get kind of uh, they want to binge during certain periods because they've just got that that extra hunger that they wouldn't normally have and it it's really hard because we're so attuned to looking short term at our responses on the scale kind of if you are doing it daily and then even if you're looking at that weekly average for a female because of their monthly cycle they have to look a bit longer and then it just becomes they're almost like why am i doing it and they do often look too short term to look at rather than the long term yeah. and i don't know if you've got a different approach to what i laid out in the article mike which thank you for reading um but do you look month to month for girls or do you kind of look shorter do you get them to weigh in at all yeah i'm pretty much well more or less what you said in the article which was really good i was you know, agreed with it entirely really um my well, i don't tend to get clients weighing daily but i do like three times a week mm-hmm. um the only thing I don't want clients doing is weighing once a week. If someone's adamant they don't want to weigh at all, I'm kind of okay with that. But say, look, well, you've got to be on point with your measurements. You have to be honest with me about how you're feeling. And if we don't think things are going anywhere, we have to then be weighing to get an average over the week because how else are we going to know how things progress? You know, I always say I'd like you to weigh three times a week and we'll take an average. Mm-hmm. But once a week is just too much of a potential fluctuation. As you laid out, it's, you know, with water weight, glycogen, even levels of stress, you know, whether you've been to the toilet or not, stuff like that, that can be quite a big swing anyway. When you add in stuff like time of the month, you know, you're talking a few pounds potentially. It can be quite big. So I certainly wouldn't want people weighing just once a week. I want them getting that average. But if they don't want to weigh in and they're aware that that's you know, not the best way to monitor progress if goal is fat loss, then I'm kind of okay with it, but I'd rather that we were doing, as we said before, some sort of like strength program where that was then the goal of yeah. performance is the goal, maintaining a physique that you wake up every day and think, yeah, I'm, I like the way I look. Mm-hmm. If you start feeling like you're not in that zone, then yeah, I want to rein it back in, get you back to a point where you're feeling better with yourself, which is probably going to mean being leaner, which is probably going to mean needing an average way in each week to gauge progress on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I have an example of a client who came to me and basically really light. So she was like a hundred pounds or Emma, Emma Green, you know, Mark, um, yeah. I'm working with at the moment and yeah, super light, tiny girl who has been trying to lose fat for a long time, has been through other coaches and it took us quite a while initially, like from her form and feedback, she was in a healthy place. She should have been losing weight. It was just kind of a bit of a weird thing that had been going on and so we tried initially putting her into a calorie deficit that we'd assume there'd be weight loss happening and we did that for about a month nothing much was really happening scale wise pretty much maintaining and she was constantly reporting hunger like quite severe hunger and I was almost surprised because it wasn't like a huge restriction on her Um, luckily she actually was very active so she was getting like 20,000 steps a day so it wasn't like she was on a thousand calories or anything Um, so we just decided right we're gonna go through a strength phase and then actually just your long-term goal is to be more muscular anyway you're not fat at the moment at all we just go through a gaining phase and crazy so start refeeding her slowly kind of that reversing out of the the diet that we were in to try and find a maintenance and she was maintaining weight kind of every single week building up by 100 calories and ended up kind of over 2000 calories on a, someone who's 100 pounds, which is a pretty damn good intake. I think she's like 2'2". Two, two. And so we then transitioned into a gaining phase, but removed the scale because of what a bad attachment she'd had during the kind of fat loss phase with it. I knew mm. if we started seeing it going up in the wrong kind of, or too dramatically, and it would spike and things like that, knew it would throw her off. So just put her in what we had assumed, kind of a 200 calorie surplus, focusing on performance and things. And kind of, even doing measurements and things like that every month because she's so slight even like a small human error could be a a massive change 
and then looking in the mirror, photos, everything's just so much harder when there's so much less of you. Yeah. And so without the scale, it became very hard to like monitor progress, which I think is why if there are females like that, you have to focus on performance progression. Um, that's really important. So we, we definitely did that. And we're actually looking to focus <coughs> on strength again, bring down volume, bring down calories slightly, introduce the scale while she's maintaining because like we did before, and then go for a fat loss phase with the scale. So it's kind of trying to build trust through that maintenance phase. But it's definitely, females, I have to put it out there, it's definitely harder for them for fat loss for so many reasons. And this is yeah. just one of them. Mike, is there any other myths that you want to bust before we kind of call it? Um, I think they're the main ones. I mean, there's like there's other ones in there. I think the idea about like female-specific exercises potentially, like, yeah, there are some. I mean, I've seen some studies and stuff. I think there was one done on female tennis players, I think it was, saying about like knee ligaments, whatever, and they benefit massively from single leg, single leg work for glute, um, for knee stabilization and for building glutes in terms of that. So one thing I'll always get in with females is some sort of single leg work, probably every single lower body session. Um, even if their goals aren't particularly to do with that, I'll say, right, well, let's just stick in a couple of sets of lunges like as part of, I don't know, a super set or something else, just do them light, do them while you're resting, stuff like that. Um, same thing if goals are aesthetics. Um, you know, I know sort of like the figure in bikini girls tends to do a lot of shoulder work compared to chest work, so that's something I'd again consider. But it's more like goal specific, really. So I think the idea that you know I hate, for instance, I used to work in a gym that had a females area, and it was all the machines and dumbbells up to ten kilos. Um, well, I say all the machines. It was you know like. Um, a chest press and a shoulder press and then all the leg machines which they gun. had yeah yeah <laughs> good bag machines um which you know they had those in the main section of the gym as well but it's almost saying to women look like, this area is not for you like go down to this one and i get this the the idea of like a lack of confidence and probably feeling better around other women but it's like just get some weights down there get yeah. even if you get one of the olympic bars that only weighs 15 kilos and is slightly thinner get one of those down there mm -hmm. get some bumper plates you know it's not it's not difficult. Don't I all for giving people a place to train where they're feeling comfortable. And if that means giving women who want to train only with women a place to do that, that's fine. But don't say to them, "Oh, you should be doing this exercise." It's just that kind of annoys me, and I'm I'm fairly easy going, but that really rolled me actually. Hundred percent. That then, yeah. How about you, Mark? Anything you particularly really take a dislike to? No, I, I I completely agree with what Mike said. There, there, there's not a lot of things that really wind me up about the gym at all. I love the gym, but that would be one for sure. I do not know why that has to be the case whatsoever. Um, and again, I am com I completely get the fact that it might be intimidating for some women, and it, if they went, it's great that they could have a place that was even if it was separate, that was their you know their part of the gym and and. and and they could be in there with friends or whatever, but like they should have the same kit as what we've got. Mm -hmm. um, they shouldn't be like the, the pink and green little dumbbells and <laughs> adductor, adductor machines. But yeah, that pisses me off as well, man. Big time. Even the pink and green is such a stereotype. It's like, like you don't need to, maybe a guy wants to go and use pink dumbbells. Maybe he gets some kick, shits and giggles out of that. Who knows? But... <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, definitely finding a place that's comfortable. And I think female personal trainers can be a massive benefit in that sort of yeah. situation. Just if they start educating themselves and they start introducing, like showing that they know how to do stuff and they work in the main area, I think that really, really helps females from what I've, from what I've seen. Um, so I want to leave you guys with a bit of a message. Hopefully you've taken away kind of those myths. But also, Mike has some exciting news. He has a really, really cool product that he's been working on for the past year. And he explained it to me before we started this podcast. And it sounds really, really legit. And I will be looking over it and uh, making sure it is. But I'm 100% sure it will be. Um, if you want to talk about that a little bit, Mike. Yeah, sure. Cheers, Steve. Well, I suppose the stuff that we talked about today was kind of on my mind because of doing this so like you said for the last year or so I've been working on a product that I've co-authored with a guy um, guy I know a good friend of mine fellow coach called Jason Maxwell um, and we decided that you know all the stuff we talked about today all the myths and everything were just 
getting really annoying. And while the message was getting out there and there's some amazing coaches and articles and stuff, we thought there was a bit of a gap in the market for like a female specific um, training program with diet recommendations, everything in there that incorporates all the science and gets people to acquire the knowledge to plan their own routines and have something they enjoy and build a body that they love as well. Um, So yeah, we put together a program. uh, It's called She Lifts. Um, Selling it through Jason's site. Um, So if you want to go to that, it's jmaxfitness.com forward slash she hyphen lifts or go on my Facebook, Jason's Facebook. We've got links to it there. Um, Basically, it's going on sale. We're releasing it from uh, next Tuesday, I think it starts. That'll be the 23rd, I think, 21st. Around the 20th, 21st, I think, actually, September. Going to be on sale for the first few days. Um, Quite a low introductory rate, so... You know, I'm not like a marketer at all. Um, I've, you know, you've said exactly what's in there, basically, Steve. There's kind of 25, 30 different routines. All the science and theory um, is specifically for women, but actually some of the feedback I've got so far from uh, the guys we've shown it to have said that they would actually buy it to give their girlfriends or wives or female colleagues or anything. So, you know, I'm biased, but it's just a cool product. Um, if you want to be, you know, get on the list for it, then go to jmaxfitness.com forward slash she hyphen lifts. Um, all the details are there. And like I said, it's, you know, we put quite a lot of work into it and it's there if you want it. So yeah, no hard sales, but it's kind of all the stuff we talked about today and a load extra as well. So yeah, there you have it. Awesome. And I'll get all those links below. So if people didn't manage to get those, so we definitely have that available, available for people. And I think the, the key behind that product is the fact that if you are looking for something, then there's loads out there that will give you programs and they'll give you diets, but they might not necessarily work. But this one will, and it will teach you the basics behind it in that you will be able to look at these programs and understand, right, I'm doing that program because it will give me this result. And it's kind of, I guess it's that intermediary between not having a coach and you're trying to educate yourself and coach yourself. Um, so I think that, I think it'll be a really worthwhile product for any female looking to actually just kind of further towards their physique goals i know you did some powerlifting kind of uh, ideas in there as well so i think yeah i just definitely will re- recommend it because mike puts out quality products and i know he wouldn't put his name on something that wasn't high quality so um, definitely definitely recommend it so i think we'll call it a day there guys um thank you everyone for tuning in hopefully the sound quality was slightly better on this one because we've run it through skype um we're gonna get mike israel to get on to the skype as well uh, through his laptop so hopefully that will work and uh, yeah just appreciate everyone tuning in listening please leave a review i've never asked for anyone to leave a review before but it'll be massively appreciated and yeah thank you so much cheers guys thanks guys